0: The sermon text for today is Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. You can find this passage in the Blue Pew Bible on page 3. Listen as I read God's word. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Here ends the reading. Good morning, morning. hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. I'm sure that uh, many of you like me ate more than you should have eaten. There's so many things that I love about Thanksgiving and the food and uh, just the things that we get once a year. Uh, Cranberry sauce for our family, my mom makes homemade. I know that there's people out there, I don't understand you, the people who like taking the can And just dumping it on a plate and it keeps the shape of the can, and you like to just, you know, sort of spoon off of that. I don't understand you. I don't understand the desire for high fructose corn syrup, uh, but I know that those people exist and I love you anyways. Uh, But the stuff that my mom makes is so much better than what you eat. Um, It's one of those things, one of those things I look forward to every year and uh, just really grateful for uh, God's abundant provision. You know, as we sit around tables. My guess is that none of us were wondering where our Thanksgiving meal was going to come from, and that's a gift from God. Uh, Let's turn to this passage here today, and as we do, I'd like to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. God, you are our abundant provider. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have uh, poured out your goodness upon us, for the ways that you have met every one of our needs in Jesus, and for the ways that you have met so many of our needs and wants. Lord, we ask that as we come to this passage today and as we think about the subject of work, that you would help us, that you would give us a clear Understanding of what your word says about what work is and the importance of it. We ask, Lord, that you would give us encouragement. Lord, for those who are here who feel stuck in their work, who feel discouraged, who feel like their gifts are not being used to their full capacity, for those who feel like their work is demeaning or dehumanizing, for those who simply don't enjoy their work, for those who feel underappreciated, underpaid, Lord, and for all the ways that we work. or for those who are struggling in their work, we ask that you would give us encouragement this morning. Help us see your good design for work and help us to be faithful stewards and workers. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are beginning a new message series for the season of Advent that's gonna take us all the way up until Christmas. And as you can see, we are going to be thinking about the subject of work, specifically, how the birth of Jesus is good news for us in our work. One of the reasons why this is such an important subject for us to think about is that so much of our lives revolve around work. If you uh, are someone who works outside of the home in a full-time capacity, you spend anywhere between a third and a half of your waking hours on your work and then multiply that out times 20, 30, maybe 40 or 50 years of maybe your career or your vocation. That's a lot of time that you spend working. And not just for those of us who maybe work outside of the home, but also for those of us uh, who, whose work is maybe inside the home. We all work all the time. Some of us, our work is in the home, some of our work is outside the home, some of our work is paid, some of our work is unpaid, but all of us are working all of the time. If you just think about how much work it takes if you own a home, think about how much work it takes to maintain your home throughout the seasons and the shoveling that you have to do and scraping off your car in the wintertime before you you come in and, and, and all of that. Think of all the yard stuff you have to do in the fall to clean up your yard. Think of the mowing the grass in the summertime. Think of all the gardening and all the, you know, beautifying of your yard with the plants and with all the things that you do and how much work goes into just maintaining your home, not to mention any of the projects that you would do around your home, especially if you choose to do those projects yourself instead of paying someone to do it. And, of course, we all know that if you pay someone to do it, they can do it much faster and probably much better than you can. Um, but if you choose to do it yourself, you know how much work it is to learn new skills and to do things and to maintain and to upkeep your house. Whether you live in an apartment or a house, you know how much work it takes to just maintain a general level of cleanliness in your home, to, to clean up, to do laundry, to do all of the things that it requires just to keep a well-maintained, well-run home. You, you know that. It takes a lot of work. In addition to this, think of all the work it takes to plan the food that you eat. You have to come up with a plan. You have to go out and purchase the food. You have to make the food and then clean up after making the food. And then you eat the food and then you have to clean up after eating the food that you made. (laughs) And just think of how much work it takes just to even do the daily thing that we all have to do of eating. Uh, You may be in school right now. You may be a student and think of how much work you have to put into your academic life. Think of how much work you have to put into ongoing education if you are someone whose uh, career or whose paid vocation demands that there are certain skills that you maintain or learn or grow in, all the extra work you have to do. Or even just if you're the kind of person who just wants to learn new things. You just want to keep growing as, as a person and how much work it takes to continue to do that. Think of the work that it takes for you to be involved in different sports, Maybe you're participating in a sport. Maybe you're helping to coach a sport. And that's maybe more work than actually doing the sport itself. (laughs) Some of you in the room know what I'm talking about. Uh, Some of you uh, parents know what it's like to do that, right? The the sports and the hobbies and the leisures. And you know, it's actually interesting. It actually takes a lot of work to vacation too, right? Uh, The amount of work it takes to plan and organize and travel, it takes a lot of work and sometimes you come back from vacation and you're like, man, I thought this was going to be like super relaxing, but it took me more work to go on vacation than if I would have just stayed home, especially if you're camping. <laughs> camping is like the anti-vacation because you put in so much work and, and there's, there's people that enjoy that, that love that and, it's, and it's, a part of, it's a part of the deal and you love it because it's a part of the deal, uh, but it is a lot of work to go camping, so much work to go camping if you're at a later, later stage of life, think about all the time it takes to organize and go to doctor's appointments. Think of the amount of work you sometimes have to put into things like physical therapy. Think of the amount of work it takes to uh, be around and to, and to watch or to take care of your grandkids. Or even if you're just a parent and have kids at all, <laughs> you know that having children is a lot of work because they just always are constantly moving and talking and there's no break and they just always demand your attention. And so there's just all these different ways, and we could name hundreds of other ways that we just work all the time. Our lives are constantly filled with doing work, and we should certainly hope that if we spend most of our waking hours doing some kind of work, that the Bible would have something to say about it, right? We would hope that if this is what we spend most of our lives doing, the Bible would give us some amount of help and some amount of direction and would tell us something about work. Well, the Bible does tell us a lot about work, and that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next number of weeks as we lead up to Christmas. And so we're going to begin today by looking at the creation account, and as we're going to do, we're going to, uh, just in our our brief time together, what I hope is that we leave here with something of catching, catching something of the Bible's vision for what work is and what work is designed to be. So the place to start this morning is here. God designed us for work. It is a part of God's good design that we would work. We're not going to go back and read the entire Genesis 1 creation account, but if we did, we would see something, uh, something of the uniqueness of humans among amidst everything else that God created. We see that humans are, are distinct, humans are separate, humans are unlike anything else that God created, than the plants and the birds and the fish and the land creatures and the insects and all of that. Humans are unique among everything God created. And we're told that what sets humans apart, what makes them unique, is that human beings are created in the image of God. We all are created in the likeness and in the image of our creator. And what it means that we're created in God's image, that's a very... uh, complex, uh, nuanced conversation with lots of different facets to it, but let me just sort of boil it down to sort of two aspects. What it means to be made in the image of God, there's there's an identity aspect to that. We are created with inherent dignity and value and honor and worth because we are created in God's image as who we are. We bear the identity of being an image bearer of God. So there's an identity aspect to it, but there's also a functional aspect to it as well. God created us for a purpose. He created us to achieve a certain function within our world. So we can read about this in Genesis one twenty six, where we read, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, for the purpose that, they might rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. We can see in Genesis one. 28, after God creates human beings, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So it is a part of God's good design that human beings would be fruitful and would multiply and would fill the earth and would exercise some amount of dominion over, some amount of authority over the created world in which God has placed us. We are created as image bearers of God who are designed to function as co-rulers with God over his created world. And we see in Genesis 2, verse 15, which you heard read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. These first two chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 are so foundational to our understanding of the entire Bible. And isn't it interesting that three times in those first two chapters, we're told about this function, this reason that God created human beings, to work. This is a part of God's good creation design for humanity, is that we would work. Our human vocational calling is to live all of our lives, including our work, with an awareness of our identity that we are sons and daughters of God, And then from there, we go out into the world and we function as, uh, we live as wise stewards of the created world around us and we do so as an act of loving devotion to God, as an act of worship, and as an act of loving service to our neighbors. This is why God, this is part of the reason God created us. This is the function that God has designed for us within the created world. Work is a part of God's good design for humanity. Now this vision of work that we see here the goodness of work that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, this is radically different than what we find in the creation accounts in the cultures surrounding Israel. Okay? Surrounding ancient Israel, there was all these different cultures, these different nations, and they all had their own creation accounts too. And some of them look very, very similar to what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, except there are some major differences. And one of the differences that we can see in some of those creation accounts is their view of work. In some of those other creation accounts, what you see is that the gods did not create human beings out of an overflow of divine love. Human beings were not created as an overflow of divine love to share in the goodness and the beauty of God's very presence in life. Human beings, in many of those ancient accounts, were created to be the butlers for the gods. There was all the, the, the menial, tedious work that the gods didn't want to do, and so they created humans as a kind of lower sort of class of slaves to do all of the work that the gods didn't want to do so that they could sit around and do whatever they wanted to do. And so what a horrible lot in life to be born as a human. I mean, it's almost a form of punishment that you're born as a human because you have to do all of the things that the gods don't want to do. Your life is lived not in loving service and devotion to the gods because you love them, You were created by them to be their butlers, to do the work that they didn't want to do. And this is so shockingly different than the vision that we see laid out in the Bible. In Genesis 1, we are told, in the beginning, God created. The very first verb that we see in the Bible is that God did an act of work. God created the heavens and the earth. Work is not beneath him. And we see in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 7, where it talks about God forming the man out of the dust. And it's the image, it's, you know, it's in, in Genesis 1, you have this sort of cosmic picture of God who's, uh, you know, this all-powerful being who just speaks into existence, creation. And then in Genesis 2, you have this intimate picture of God on his knees with his hands in the dirt, forming humans in his own image and getting close enough to them to breathe his very life into them. And this kind of work, getting your hands in the dirt, was not beneath God. And so we see this radically different picture of work in the creation accounts that were in the nations surrounding Israel and then what we see in the Bible. It's totally different. And it's interesting that the story our culture tells about work is not all that different than the nations surrounding Israel. Think about this. Think about the language that we use to talk about work. Uh, Language of work is uh, the daily grind. You know, work is, uh, this way of talking about work is the daily grind. It's not exactly the most inspiring thing. You know, it doesn't get you excited to get out of bed in the morning and go to your job or to do the work you have to do. So it's just this sort of idea of, you know, work is a necessary evil. I have to do it because I have to make money to provide for myself or my family. I have to do it because it's just a part of the system. There's no other way around it. But work itself is kind of this, yeah, it's, it's a necessary evil. It's a daily grind, right? I think of the image that comes to my mind is, is a person who's had a knee replacement is because the cartilage is gone and it's bone grinding on bone when they walk. And that's, that's the idea, I think. The way that we tend to think about work is in a very negative context. How many of you are familiar with the cartoon Garfield, the cat? Okay, so a handful of you, nobody who's like under 30, raise their hand on this one. Okay, we got got one. Um, But Garfield the cat is notorious for hating what? Mondays. And if you do just like a super quick Google search, you can find all these different memes and comics of Garfield just hates Mondays. I'm a Friday person in a Monday world. Yep, it's Monday and things are already going poorly. And there's just this negative view of work that Garfield has and I didn't realize this until I was older, that you know that the target audience for the people who sit down and read the comics in the newspaper is not like small children. The target audience is adults who sit around and read a newspaper. And there's a reason why Garfield's hatred of Mondays resonates so much with us. Because so often it can just feel like every Monday we go down into the valley of the shadow of death. Right, and then come Friday afternoon, we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we can come out and we can enjoy those glorious two days of the weekend. And then every Monday morning, we got to go back down into the doldrums of our ordinary life, and we just live in a cycle of up and down and up and down because work is miserable. Think of the uh, the vision of retirement that many people have. The modern American vision of retirement is that I put my nose down, I do all the work I possibly can, so that as soon as I possibly can, I can stop working and do all the things that I would have been doing if I wasn't working, right? So, the modern American vision of retirement is I'm going to work hard now so that later I can stop working. And there's so many people that live their entire lives straining towards the goal of not working. This is not the place to open up a conversation about retirement, Okay. Uh, if you want to ask me my thoughts on retirement, I'm happy to share those with you. I'll maybe talk about that in a different message. I'm not here to uh, talk about retirement at all. But just to say that that particular view of retirement, the modern American, I'm just going to put in my time so then I can stop working and just, you know, lay on the beach and do whatever I want and golf, you know, that vision of retirement has a fundamentally negative view of work associated with it. And so we see God's vision for work is that work is good. God has designed us for work and yet uh, we don't often think of work as such a good thing. Our experience of work is not all that good. The reality is that the vision that we find of work in Genesis 1-2 to so often feels foreign to us, doesn't it? We think, well, that's not the way I experience work. You know, the cynical side of us may say, yeah, right. That's the way work is supposed to be. This vision of work that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is so foreign to us because we're living in the midst of a creation that has been ravaged by sin. This vision feels so foreign to us because we are living in a post-Genesis 3 world. In Genesis 3, we read about the, the presence of sin entering the world, the poison of sin that has come into the world, and has ravished God's good creation. And every single aspect of the created world itself, creation itself, has been affected and infected by the presence of sin. And every single one of us has been infected and affected by the presence of sin. And so naturally, our experience of work is not always that pleasant. Our experience of work does not always seem to line up with what we read about work in Genesis one and two. And it's because the world itself, creation itself, is groaning with the longing to be released from its bondage to the presence of sin. And so the very creation itself is broken in some fundamental way. And so, because of that, our work is distorted. Our experience of work is not what it should be. Just remember that work is not a product of the fall, toilsome work. Difficult work, work that does not lead to life and human flourishing, but leads to oppression and violence, that kind of work is a product of the fall. But work itself is not a product of the fall. But because creation has been subjected, because creation is groaning underneath the presence and the power of sin, we don't experience work the way that we're designed to. And it's not just that creation itself sort of out there is corrupted and is broken, it's, it's inside of us too. The corrupting presence of sin in our lives means that we approach our work not as an act of worship, not as an act of loving service and devotion to God, and not as an act of loving service to our neighbors. We approach our work with a need for our work to be the things we can accomplish with our hands and our minds. We look for our work to be the thing that, that brings us meaning and identity and purpose. We look to work to become this ultimate source of meaning and purpose for us. And that's one of the ways that sin has twisted us even inside of our own hearts is that our inclination, that our our sort of the, the natural bent is that we would look to our work for things like that. Even though our work was never designed to bear the weight of being the source of our identity. Our work and the things that we can accomplish through our work was never designed to bear the weight of being the source of our joy being the source of our contentment, being the source of our security and our comfort in our life. Our work was never designed to be that in the first place and because sin has twisted our hearts in such a way that we now look to work to be that for us. And so we look to our work to prove that we are somebody, to prove to ourselves that we are somebody. You know, we look to our work and we say, you know, I I am a leader in my industry. And you can look at the different, you know, companies or organizations around you, and you can say, you know, I'm in the top whatever percent of all the people in our area in my position. And that's how I know that I'm somebody, because of my work accomplishments. You know, we can look to uh, things like accomplishments, academic accomplishments. We can look to our intelligence and our smarts and say, you know, I'm an industry leader. I'm a thought leader. People look to me for advice. People look to me for Um, for coaching and for support, people come to me for the answers because I'm so educated and I'm so smart. And that can be, that can easily become the source of what makes us who we are is that that, that that's the source of my identity is that I am that person who's that intelligent, who's that smart. We can look to our work to provide those things for us and it was never designed to do that. And the reason we look to our work to provide those things for us is because our identity is not firmly rooted in who God is and who we are in him. And because our identity is uncertain, that's why we go out and look to the things we can accomplish. Whether your work is paid or unpaid, inside the home, outside the home, all of the work we do, we can so easily look to that because we are not firmly rooted in our identity, in who Christ has made us to be. So, The creation that we experience has been tainted and distorted by the presence of sin, and so are we, and so that leads to an environment where we just simply don't experience work the way that God has designed us to experience work. But the good news is this, the arrival of Jesus restores us to our true vocational calling. The arrival of Jesus that we celebrate here during the season of Advent and at Christmas, it restores us to that original vocational calling we had. In other words, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can begin to experience work the way that it was designed. Now, we will never experience our work the way it was designed to be experienced here and now. And when we get glimpses of that, when we get glimpses of our work being meaningful, when our work feels productive, when it feels fruitful, when we look at it and we can see that it's good, when we do an act of good work, no matter what that is, and we can sense the smile of God on us. We have to celebrate and and relish in those moments. But the reality is that we don't experience that all the time. And we won't experience that until Jesus returns to make all things new. But the promise is that in Christ we've been given a new identity and we have a promise that Jesus will return and make all things new and we will experience work one day the way that we were designed to. Because in Christ, we've been given a new identity. Listen to how Peter says this. I'm going to read this from the book of 1 Peter. This is one of the many places in the New Testament where uh, we see uh, someone writing, speaking an identity over a group of people. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received the mercy of God. And so Peter writes to these believers and reminds them of who they are in Christ. They've been given a new identity. And we can look at many other passages in the New Testament that do something similar. But the point is that in Christ, we've been given a new identity. And so then with that Identity firmly in place, and only when it's firmly in place can we go out and experience our work in some capacity the way we were designed to experience it. It's only when our identity has been firmly rooted in Jesus that our work ceases to be a striving, that our work ceases to be a striving after reputation or status or wealth or honor or fame or notoriety or approval or power, or whatever else it is. It's only when our lives have been firmly rooted in our identity in Christ that our work, all of the things that we do, those things become an avenue for loving devotion to God and loving service to our neighbors. It's through our work that we express our love and our gratitude to God. We we don't work because we need something from our work. We go into our work saying, God, you have been so gracious and so generous to me. You've revealed yourself to me. You've revealed that work is good. And so I'm going to do good work because that's what I was designed to do. That's a part of the way you designed me. And so all of the work that we do, whether it's, you know, public, whether it's private, whether it seems really important or seems really mundane, and then we do it over and over and over again, like cleaning up Cheerios off the floor, All of that work becomes a way of of expressing our loving gratitude towards God. And we work because we love him. But it's not only that we experience that, we also work as an act of loving service to those around us. And it's when our identity is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ that our, our work loses its power over us. It's only then that we're freed to go into our work, not needing our work to provide something for us, not needing our work to be a source of identity, or significance, or value. And, and just to be really clear, those are good things, okay? We shouldn't look to our job and say, like, you know, I want to resist any, any, so, any sense of, like, I did a good job, <laughs> you know? We don't resist any sense of, like, oh, someone tried to encourage me, and I did a good job, and I want to resist that, because it's bad. No, we, we enjoy those things. We, we soak those things up, and we have them, But we don't look to our job needing it to provide those things for us because our identity has been firmly rooted and grounded in who Jesus is. And so in this way, the birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus at Christmas, it restores us to that original human vocation that we were given. Let me just leave you with a few questions to sort of ponder this week in reflection. What people and experiences have most shaped my view of work? Everyone has learned about work from someone or from somewhere. What are the people or the experiences that have shaped your view of work? You know, for me, uh, growing up, my dad was in ministry and he worked two jobs to provide for our family. And so that aspect of, of my work ethic, you know, no one has to worry about me slacking off and, you know, being an underachiever. That aspect of my work ethic is, is in part because I grew up seeing that in my dad, And saying, you got to do what you got to do to to provide for your family. And so, sure, it's hard sometimes, but you do what you got to do to provide for your family. And so that's one of those things that, for me, has shaped my view of work and how I approach my work. And likely you have other stories, too, where you can think of uh, people or experiences, maybe positive, maybe negative, that have shaped your understanding of what work is uh, and how, how you work. Second question is this, in what ways is my view of work in alignment with God's design? In what ways do you look at your, your understanding of work and say, "Yeah, you know, uh, this seems to be in, in quite a bit of alignment. This aspect of my view of work seems to be in alignment with God's design. Celebrate that. Celebrate where there is those places where you are on the right track, And ask yourself also, in what ways does my thinking need to be renewed? In what ways does my attitude towards work, towards my work in particular, in what ways do I need to be renewed? And so bring these questions and maybe submit these before the Lord, spend some time in quiet reflection, maybe spend 30 minutes just sitting before God and saying, would you help me think about these questions and process those questions in the presence of God and let them renew and transform your work. As we come to the communion table today, we remember and celebrate God's saving work on our behalf. We remember that he sent us his son who would suffer and die so that the power of sin could be broken. And now we look forward with expectant hope to the day when he returns to make all things new.